if parenthood came with a GPS, it would most likely just say recalculating. Join Yulandi Becker and her guest experts Wednesdays at 11 a.m. for Bump and Beyond, the show about pregnancy and babies, 101.9 megahertz of life. Yes, you are on 101.9 High FM. This is Bump and Beyond, and I'm your host, Yulandi Becker. And it is the new year. For me, officially, the first show I'm doing live. The previous ones this year were all pre-recorded. So it's great to be back in studio looking at Craig's beautiful face in studio (laughs) and joined by my guest today. And yes, my children started school now on Monday. Finally, I know most of Gauteng have already been going for quite some time, but we finally managed to get back to school on Monday. And I have to say that... My kids are now 11 and 9, and obviously there's quite a few Facebook memories <laughs> um, coming up, especially this time of year, of their first day of school. And it's very obvious that they are bigger, and it's just, it's so true what they say, that the days are long, but the years are short. And you, I can't believe that they're already grade four and grade six. And I'm looking at them and I'm just looking, how did they come from there? From four Schuler, from kindergarten. And now they're already so big and it's such a, it's nice to see, but it's also, yeah, there's so many things. So it's, this is what our show is about today is that inevitable growth. They are growing constantly. And in the beginning, when they are babies, it's very quick. A lot of development happens, especially in those first two years. And it slows down, but it doesn't, it doesn't stop. So, and that's what we're talking about today is childhood development. And of course, how we as parents can have an active role in that development. Again, it's inevitable. Development and growth is going to happen, but it can happen in a better way. If we assist them in a good way and give them the tools that they need. And I'm looking forward to that conversation today. And of course, as always, I want you to be part of the conversation. So share with us some of those stories of your children, their development. Was it similar, your two kids? Was it different? Was there something that stood out that they start walking really soon? Was it the delay and you were a little bit worried? Because inevitably, isn't that what we do as parents? We compare them to some kind of standard, usually our friends and family that's around us. And if they're not walking at the same time, we start getting worried and, and, and. But share those Insights with us, of course, you can phone us in studio at 010-140-3020 or you can send us a telegram on 061-895-1019. Of course, you can send a voice note there as well or SMS us on 34519. SMSs are charged at 150. And last but not least, see, there's lots of ways to communicate. So you need to start talking to me. In studio at highfm.com. We would love to hear what you have to say and what your insights are on this specific topic. There's inevitable growth, but what's the highlights of your children? Child development is described as the changes children experience as they grow older. As children grow physically, they also develop in their knowledge, skills, and behavior. Parents and other adults, such as grandparents and child care providers, play an important role in children's development. 
In general, the five stages of early childhood development are newborns, infant, toddler, preschooler, and then school-age children. I can't believe my kids are already <laughs> school-age children. It makes me a little bit, yeah, I'm scary. And as I mentioned earlier, it is a little bit of a downfall sometimes when you're comparing your children the whole time with some kind of standard. And I can tell you out of personal experience how different my children were. But I look forward to chatting to you after this. <laughs> this is Bump and Beyond with Yolandi Becker, the show about pregnancy and babies. 101.9 megahertz of life. If you've just joined us, you are on 101.9 High FM, and this is Bump and Beyond with me, Yulandi Becker. And we're talking childhood development and how, as parents, we can assist. We just had that wonderful voice note from Megan, where she was talking about her three kids, how different they were. And that, honestly, was my experience as well, is that, and I mean, you can also see it. I mean, I don't know why we're so surprised. If you just look at my own, th me and my two brothers, how different we are as people, it's, it's not surprising that we will be different as children, of course. But my son, for instance, he took forever to start walking. I don't know if it was because I was carrying him around too much. And with the second one, you can't carry two kids at the same time all the time. So it's a little bit different. And they see a lot more people walking, I assume. But that being said, I also feel my daughter is a lot more sporty in a way. Oscar, from the start, he st only started walking, I think, around 15 months around there. But I also have to say that my walking standard is not just one step. Often people say that their kids are walking and then they only took one step. That was not for me walking. They actually he had to do a stretch. And it was funny because someone actually came to me and said, like, oh, he's walking. I'm like, that's not walking. That's two steps. It's not walking. And then that very afternoon, I was sitting in the grass and we had like a sand pit across the lawn. And then he stood up and he walked to me like I think it was at least 20 steps. And he was just showing me. He's like, excuse me, I can't walk. <laughs> so that was him. But Emmy, on the other hand, it was already at 19 months she could be walking. Oscar as well, very early on, started speaking. And Emmy had a delay. I think maybe we were speaking for her. <laughs> but you can see that now as a little bit older, I feel that Emmy is a lot more sporty. And Oscar is a lot better at languages. We speak three languages at home and he can very easily go th between those languages very fluently without wondering. It's, it's very impressive. Whereas Emmy is very English and school is very German. <laughs> Even when I explain to her math in English, you can see she's like, this is not happening. It needs to happen in German. And that's just how different they are, and that's great. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's exactly what we are talking with with our guest today, Lizette van Heistien. She is an expert in early childhood development with a degree in social science and has a special interest in development psychology. And she's also the founder, the co-founder of the Practica program. So I'm excited to have you. Welcome, Lizette. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, so Lizette, also tell us, because you've already got grandchildren. <laughs> How many kids do you guys have? We have two daughters, and each of them also has um, 
two daughters, so we have six daughters. Oh, yeah, <laughs> total. That, that's a lot of kids in total. Uh, a little bit more than what I have. So, <laughs> do you have any grandkids already? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, two daughters. Oh, each, each have. have Two. So oh, that's how okay. we end up no, with okay. six. Yeah. No, okay. So that is a lot of gra- uh, uh, nice grandkids uh, as well. Yeah, I like that. I like the lineage. <laughs> Obviously, as a sleep consultant, um, development has a very big impact also on what we do as sleep consultants mm-hmm. because um, it has the changes. And often parents, they phone like after we've helped them, for instance, at six months, then they would phone at nine months and be like, oh, I'm following everything exactly the same and nothing has changed. Why is my child all of a sudden waking up at night? And then I'm like, um, excuse me, the biggest variable has changed quite a lot in the last three months, your child, because they're constantly changing and growing. And that change can have an impact on lots of things including their sleep, for instance, as well. I'll chat a little bit about sleep regressions if we have time later. But let's get into this whole child development. What is, because we know, like, children grow, but what is healthy? What is healthy childhood development? What what do we consider healthy childhood development? Uh, I think that's an important question because that's what every parent aspires to achieve is is to accommodate and support healthy childhood development for their children. So um, I think I'd like to touch on two things. Firstly, when you're looking at that first, obviously, you would look at good nutrition, enough sleep, making sure that your child gets age-appropriate stimulation. But most importantly, and I don't think parents understand how important this is, is making sure that children have a good, solid, emotional secure attachment and relationship with the, with the caregivers in that child's life. That is extremely important because that changes everything, you know. Yes. So that, I'd say, is a holistic view at the big picture of healthy development. But also um, uh, it involves all the different areas of their development. So there's research that's consistently being done on what typical development looks like and there is a reason why this research is done. And uh, to, to connect to what the, um, the lady that called in um, explained to us, the reason why we have this research is so that we have some kind of a frame of reference of the, the sequence of development for each of the different skills. It's not necessarily the age specifically that it needs to happen at, but for each of these different skills, there is a sequence of development so that you know what to expect next and what you're reaching for, what you're aiming at next, so that you have some direction in your interaction. And then also there are red flag milestones, and the red flag milestones, they indicate when 90% of children typically can do something. And there's a reason why that is important, because if your child now is no, not able to do that specific thing at that time, there's a reason why it's important to, to take them for an assessment so that we can, um, can have early intervention. Oh. And, I mean, I think that's very important, the early intervention part is I've seen it with my own children. Like if they – both of them had OT, Oscar also had speech therapy. And because they did it at such a young age, it was only a year or two that they had to do it. I honestly think I had to get OT when I was a child. I have no depth perception whatsoever. <laughs> so uh, I th- I recommend going to an occupational therapist for every child. My daughter actually thought it was an activity. So when my, my son loved it so much, by the time she went to school, she's like, I want to do OT this year. 
<laughs> because it always looks so much fun and so entertaining for her. So she actually thought it was something that you had to sign up for. <laughs> In the end, she did go. And I think it really helped. I mean, my son was such a clumsy little mover and it made such a difference. And I remember so distinctly as well, another fantastic person that I love to talk about um, or to talk to about childhood development is the founder of Baby Gym, Dr. Melody de Jager. And she once explained to me, I should also get her on the show. <laughs> um, she explained to me once that development is like a ladder. It, it builds on each other. Like you said, yeah. there's a sequence of events that needs to happen. And if one step is missing, you can go to the next step, but it's a little bit harder. I look so forward to all the other questions we have to get into. Mm. <laughs> this is Bump and Beyond with Yolandi Becker, the show about pregnancy and babies. 101.9 megahertz of life. Hi, I'm Anri van Rooyen. I'm a mom of identical twin boys who have just turned five years old. Uh, the most important thing I just want to mention to twin parents out there is to watch out, to never really compare your children, even though if they're twins or identical, it doesn't matter. They're still their own little unique human beings. And in in my case, with even though our boys are identical, their personalities are like day and night. Um, it did happen that their development was on par with both of them. They sat within a few days of one another. Uh, the one would start walking within two days. Our other son would walk. I don't know. They maybe motivated each other and they walked fairly quickly. I think they were, they were nine months old and then they were fully mobile and, um, they were born a month early, but I did. I have an educational background and um, <clears throat> I did a lot of stimulation with them, a lot of sensory play, a lot of gross motor skill development, baby gym, you name it, we did it. Um, but it was fun to see how they develop and the special bond between twins. Uh, I mean, you can't compare. So, uh, yeah, it's an amazing journey and uh, twin parents out there, be careful of the comparing trap. They are their own little unique human beings. Um, watch out for that. But it's been fun. This is Bump and Beyond with Yolandi Becker. The show about pregnancy and babies. 101.9 megahertz of life. You can see it's my first time back. <laughs> if you've just joined us, you are on 101.9 High FM. This is Bump and Beyond with me, Yolandi Becker, and we're talking childhood development and our role as parents in the development of our children. And we're speaking to Lizette Heistein. Lizette, it's really nice to have you here today. And um, for those of you who don't know Practica, they're actually celebrating their 30th year this year. So well done. That is, it's a... It is a tool that you can use at home. But we mentioned now earlier that development has a bit of a sequence to it that it mm. follows. And certain things, you know, we all know, I, maybe I shouldn't assume everyone knows that, but, you know, a child has to first hold their head up. Then they need to be able to sit. Then they need to be able mm. to crawl before they can walk. And that's just the motor development part of it. Mm. Uh, and the beginning part of it, probably <laughs> only scratching the surface. But we've all heard that as well, that the first thousand days are very important. Why is this first thousand days so important 
Well, the first thousand days is from conception until the second birthday. So it starts before birth already. But the main um, reason why this is so important is because these, this is the time when a lot of the foundations for development are laid. So um, this will determine, for, for example, um, you know, when we think about language development, a child's language development, the quality of the language development during the, this period will determine not only the foundation with regards to vocabulary, but also how they learn to speak, how they communicate. It has an impact for the rest of that child's life because it has to do with brain wiring. So um, let me tell you this because it's quite interesting. Okay, so what happens is, is that, you know, obviously if I'd like to learn to play golf, I need to decide I want to play golf. <laughs> <laughs> then I have to motivate myself to practice. So um, there are many things that little babies need to learn. But they can't decide hmm. and they can't practice. So what now? <laughs> so what nature did, and this is the creator who is so amazing, uh, you know, who created children like this, is that during the, this period, um, literally trillions of little preliminary brain cell connections are just deposited into the brain. Look, if I learn to play golf, that will involve the development of brain cell connections yes. that I didn't previously have, have. And as I get better and better at it, um, it'll become more automated. And the no one gets better at golf. I'm a golfer. <laughs> there's no such thing as better golf. <laughs> so, so this basic idea is pulled through at every age. When you learn something, it has to do with new brain cell connections. So we want new brain cell connections to develop in babies, but they can't decide to learn things and they can't practice at will. Yeah. So what nature does is it gives them these trillions of would-be connections that are there dormant, waiting to be connected. Yeah. And they need to be connected through experience. And these brain cell connections are deposited into the brain over time during this period. The, it starts at 24 weeks um, after conception, prior wow. to birth, and then up to the age of about 21 months. And oh. it, it, it's definitely finished at, at the age of two. And uh, so obviously now, you know, if your child smiles at you, then that would be a sign that that part of his brain is now being wired. So what are you doing? You're not going to ignore it. You're going to smile back. So you're supporting that natural development by practicing it. Ah. And as you now support it by responding to this natural development, you're connecting these brain cell connections and hardwiring them into the brain. On the contrary, if you don't respond, then the child will stop smiling at you. Those brain cell connections will atrophy and they will not be hardwired into the brain. Mm. No offense, but it sounds like a lot of pressure. I mean, smiling back and a <laughs> smile is an easy part. <laughs> but I mean, there is, there is quite a lot of things that need to happen. Yeah, like language development yeah. is totally develop, dependent on stimulation. Your child is going to learn Chinese if you speak English. To yeah, them, you know? but in the end, for me, that's also language development. I can speak a lot. It's not <laughs> a problem for me. Probably hence why I have this side hustle, but it is, for me, it becomes a little bit trickier with certain things. What if you miss one of those connections? Is this going to be the end of the world? You can start learning golf at 40 or at 60. It is possible. So is it possible to create those connections later? Well, it depends on which area of development it is that we're talking about. So certain areas of development are more sensitive, and they, this is called a window of opportunity. So some windows of opportunity close earlier, some later. 
the um, window of opportunity for all the preschool skills are the first seven years of life, those yeah. windows. Some never close, like emotional development, for instance, stay open for the rest of our lives. That's why that's called maturity. <laughs> we can always get more emotionally stable intelligent. and intelligent, yeah. yes. as well as vocabulary, mm. learning new words. But um, if a child doesn't learn to speak the basic language and understand, you know, do the basic developmental milestones in certain areas, and these are the things that are more socially um, distinct, um, you know, that were socially dis, um, developed, like, for instance, um, intellectual skills and social skills mm. and um, – Speech development and language development, these are the more sensitive things. Yeah. So these are the things that are more open to, to actually, you know, to actually have long-term consequences. So for instance, an example would be a Japanese baby, because they don't have the r and the l sound in their language. If they never hear English before the age of 12 months, then for the rest of their lives, they won't be able to distinguish between those sounds. And that's why fried lice and fried rice send the ah. sound. You see, so they lose those right cell connections. Ah. Very interesting. If you've just joined us, um, you are on 101.9 High FM uh, with me, Yolandi Becker, and this is Bump and Beyond, where we talk things parenting and specifically today, childhood development. It's very interesting that you mentioned these specific and once again, the thousand days, because now I mentioned that, oh, you can still learn golf at 60. But in what you were just saying is, is that technically part of what golf is all about those skills you've already learned. You just didn't know it because you can, because you need to walk, which you can already do. Uh, you need to pick up a stick, which you can already do. And those basics can happen. But what are these, the most important things that children need to, what are the fields that we need to look at? Obviously you said language development already and a couple of other things. Maybe mm. you can elaborate on that. Okay, so I think, Okay, let me, let me explain to you why we started the practical program. So initially, um, when I studied educational psychology, I obviously had my children while I was, while I was studying. So it was very interesting to me to realize that, you know, you can actually assess children and you can see where they are, um, on the, you know, in, on, in all these steps of development. And, uh, I realized that oftentimes children are assessed by the age of six to seven and then, you know, it's determined that they have some kind of a problem and something. They go to a therapist and, as you say, they play all these fun games with mm. them. So say a child doesn't see the difference between a Bernada. Mm. So they've got a problem with visual discrimination. So they go to the therapist. She plays games with them that they were supposed to be or they were could have done when they were 18 months old and two years and two and a half and three and three and a half. And so she's playing all these games. And within a few weeks now they can do this. So I thought, you know, well, if these games assist, and, you know, mm. if they're there, if they, why don't we just give it to parents to play with their children anyway when they are actually 18 months and two years old and just tell them about it and they can play it. And then, you know, many children who would have had problems otherwise then would be spared that experience. Mm. So that's basically the idea of the practical program. But then came this question that you're asking now. So what are we developing? What are we focusing on? And I think that's something that also helps us to make us special, it makes the program unique, is, is that we actually gave a, we give a big picture. So we say there are 14 fundamental 
areas that need to be developed during the first two years of life. And then from two years onwards, we can focus on the 50 school readiness skills. And that's the big picture of a child's development. Mm. So the 14 areas, I think it would be interesting for parents, you know, have 14 areas. And I (laughs) I knew parenthood was complicated. (laughs) When I read through it, you'll see it's not weird and wonderful, but it's important to just think about it, you know, that the first one would be intellectual development. We all know what that is, Mm. is problem solving being able to, you know, realize that something exists when you don't see it any longer, that type of thing. The second one is the development of curiosity. That's mm. actually a skill. It oh, needs really? to develop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then my the kids d- have that. <laughs> Why is their favorite question? <laughs> <laughs> and then play. Children need to learn how to play. And we have two types of play. It's free play and instructional play. Okay. And they have different roles. We can discuss that later. Then the concept of self, things like body awareness and, you know, um, the, 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 the concept of rhythm in your body, time, that type of thing. Then um, sensory perception is being able to make sense of all the information that, that reaches the brain via, via your senses. Then emotional development, physical development, those are the gross motor skills, independence, manual dexterity and, and eye-hand coordination. Social development, listening skills, number 12 is language comprehension, 13 is speech development, which is um, managed by a different part of the brain, and that's why it's a separate skill. Oh, okay. And then 14 is communication skills. So those are the 14 areas, and each of these develop on its own little continuum. Um, during the first two years of life. And but they also interlock a little. Very, no, very. not a lot. They're very inter- <laughs> intertwined. Okay, I just want to make sure. So it's not, even though they are separate, they're all also intertwined and they help each other. Yeah. So if you're doing certain things, you might be stimulating or helping in lots of different ways. Yeah. But before you answer my question, we do have a question here on our Telegram line. Yeah. I assume this is Telegram. Um, <laughs> Um, can you overstimulate uh, a child? Oh, it's an SMS. Can you overstimulate a child? And if so, can that make your child an anxious learner eventually? Yeah, absolutely. So you can overstimulate a child in two ways. Firstly, it would be sensory overstimulation. That is the more common way that children are overstimulated you know imagine you take your baby who is now maybe seven or eight months old to your workplace to show your baby to all the colleagues and everybody picks him up and they kiss him and they carry him around and then you're traveling back home you pop in at the spa you get stuff to buy you go home and then you know if it's much more the not only the visual, the auditory, the touch stimulation, but also the movement. Movement is also sensory. Mm. So if too much of this in one day can result in a child being overstimulated at night and then they scream for no reason. So that is sensory overstimulation. Mm. It's too much. No. The child needs some time to to um, internalize. Yeah. And to just we have the same also. I always say to parents when it comes to sleep again is that because – Newborn babies, for instance, can only stay awake for about an hour and a half between sleeps. It's a little bit less sometimes with some newborn babies. But from three months, it's an hour and a half. From six months, it's two and a half hours. And there's a reason why those babies can only stay awake for such a long time or else they will get their brain needs to rest (laughs) so that they don't get overstimulated for that reason. So, again, that 
internal thing that has been built into them already to yeah. help them cope with that overstimulation. And but anyway, and then no, the other side. Let me, let me elaborate on what you say. It's interesting that um, before the age of three months, children can't look away. At the age of three months, one of the milestones is, is that they're able to break eye contact. So a child would be looking at you while you're yeah. talking to them or singing or playing, and then they will just look away. And when they look away, that's an indication that they need to now process the experience and you need to give them a gap. And when they look back and make eye contact and then they initiate interaction again, then they're ready to to engage with you again. Prior to that, when they're younger than three months old, you can look at their state or their behavior. Sometimes a baby would hiccup. Sometimes they would just uh, frown or they would tense up or some of them just become totally limp. You know, so there's different signs. You can see there's something not typical about the way my baby is is engaging with me now. And it's important for us to be sensitive to that and realize that this is their way of showing that they need to, actually they're not intentionally showing it, no. but it's just a way of them responding to overstimulation. So, okay, the first one is then overstimulation on a sensory level. Yes. Another way to overstimulate children would be to expect something of them that is actually something that they're only going to be capable of doing when they're older. No. So, for instance, for a child, something with some a very common, um, unfortunately very common thing that we see nowadays is when children in Grade R, for instance, are expected to sit at desks for long periods of time, working on worksheets, not having the freedom to play and move around. It's not age appropriate. That is a way of overstimulating them because you're expecting them to conduct themselves in a way that is not age appropriate. So when you expect a child to, to behave in a way that is not, that is not ideal for his developmental level, but no but actually to advance. That is, is overstimulation. It's very stressful to them. They become, especially the more intelligent children and the children that are more sensory, they, that need movement more, they um, become extremely frustrated by this. It's not good for them at all. And, I mean, if you're talking about that already, I can see how, like the question was, does it make an anxious learner? Mm. Obviously it does. If it you've does. got to do something that you know you can't do, it is going to make you anxious. And in the long term, that can lead to anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, being restricted in that way, is um, it's, it goes against every need that the child has. That is why play is actually um, formally acknowledged as a human right for young children. It's, a, it's, a, it's formally acknowledged as a human right. And you said there as well, it's one of the things that the 14 things <laughs> that our children have to learn is how to play. So we should make time for play. And I do have to say, I do think most great R programs, I have to say my kids' school, definitely they had more than enough time to play and paint and read and no, Unfortunately, maybe that's not. changing. Yeah, it is actually changing because parents are impressed by the more academic look and feel of it. It mm. looks to them, it looks to them as if their children are going to be advanced when they do more academic type of activities. Oh. And so it becomes a selling point and people compare schools by how academic they are as opposed to, you know, how child age appropriate they are. And that's something that I think it's very important to discuss. Melody okay. Jager will definitely also has, have a lot to say about that. Great. Let's chat a little bit more just now. This is Bump and Beyond with Yolandi Becker, the show about pregnancy and babies. 101.9 megahertz of life.
I hope you're not only just joining us. If you are, remember, this will be available as a podcast later because we're talking today to Lizette van Heisteen with me, Yolandi Becker on Bump and Beyond about childhood development and how yeah, we can help as parents. We haven't quite gotten to that part yet. We've been talking about what is healthy development, what is the 14 development um milestones that children have to reach um which i'm like as she's mentioning it's like i'm going like tick half a tick 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 with my own children in my head i'm hoping that they're on route but what are the some of the things lizette uh, that we can do as children um, as parents um if i mean I'm, my kids are already nine and eleven i feel i do spend quite a bit of time with them but the, the first thousand days is long over for me <laughs> but what is some of the activities that parents can do with their children to help with this development Okay. Healthy development. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, okay, let me just help, uh, help, uh, parents out by saying, I know that when you hear about 14 different areas of, let me just put this in context. There's 14 different areas of development and each of them has its own little series of milestones within it. And then at the age of two, they subdivide into 50 school readiness skills, 50, five zero (laughs) school readiness skills that are tested for uh, school readiness by the time they go to school. So this is now the big picture of the first seven years of life then, eh? Okay, but now if anybody obviously would be like me, then they would feel very overwhelmed at this stage, especially when you think about, you know, not doing the right thing at the right time and then missing that opportunity forever and all of that. <laughs> it's very stressful. So let me start off by saying it's not the idea isn't for us to stimulate our children 24-7 or every waking minute of the day. It's like healthy food, you know. When your child eats, you will provide healthy food. You're not going to let your child sit on a chair at a table, plop healthy healthy food in front of them and let them sit there for 16 hours a day because that's the best for them, you know. That would be just totally ludicrous. Similarly, we don't want to stimulate children all the time. We need to give them opportunity to play and just engage with the world and and just follow their instincts. Because let me just say this, that remember that there are all of these brain cell connections deposited in the first two years of life. That gives them a foundation. It's like a big block of marble. And now this has to be chilled away to create a statue underneath that's going to come out. So this chilling happens through play uh. and engaging with the environment, sometimes just being bored, sometimes <laughs> just interacting with sand or just staring at the ceiling, you know, so um or just observing. So. The idea is, is to give our children an opportunity to, to engage in free play, to experiment with the world, to just have a normal life. And when they play and when they engage with us to provide healthy food or healthy, healthy activities that are age appropriate to maximize that time of interaction. So practically speaking, this would mean that we build little sessions into our daily routine. Like in, you know, if you think about maybe 
in the mornings when my child gets up, we'll spend five minutes just cuddling in bed and playing two or three little games. Remember, these little games are short. It's like a few seconds sometimes or Mm. maybe a minute or two in duration. So you can very easily have little five or ten minute sessions of interaction and engagement to stimulate your child. And you can then mentally just block it into different parts of the day, like, say, for instance, early in the morning, and then if your child goes to daycare, maybe directly after daycare, mm. and maybe before going and to bed at night, and again, you know, it relates story. very nicely to what you were saying earlier on, and throughout you've mentioned things like that, that comes down to the same thing of attachment, mm. being present while you're with your child and forming that attachment, because mm. learning can't happen without attachment. Yeah. And um, and just actually spending time with our children doing things. I think the <laughs> challenge is nowadays that, that um, we don't obviously have a lot of um, structure. There are many different, we have like, a, a, there are many a lot of knowledge available on the internet, but there's a lack of structure. Mm. You know, there isn't a big picture, and that's what the practical program provides. But also, you know, just to think about doing age-appropriate things instead of just doing anything. So because the more age-appropriate and the more focused the activities are that you do with your child in those little periods that you've set aside, the bigger the impact that you're going to be having. Ah, I like that. It needs to be focused on something, some skill and it needs to be age appropriate. It needs to be interactive as far as possible. And you can also just provide what I really like about the Montessori method is, is where they provide, um, like different trays of activities, pack it out on a, on a table yeah. within reach for the children. And they my have children the were in a Montessori school. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's really nice because then, you know, it just provides the, the environment that they need to, to um, practice all these skills that are naturally emerging. Yes. No, and I think I love that where you were saying about, first of all, again, the attachment and that interaction, but to make sure that the activities that you then do is actually age appropriate. Mm. And, and I mean, even now, if I think now of my own children, even now at their age, how many things, I mean, a very, very silly example is that my daughter has recently discovered Roblox. It's a game on, anyway, it's an <laughs> online thing. And then she's like, is it okay if I friend accept people that she doesn't know? But this kid does not told her. He's, she's, I'm like, you don't know the kid. If you don't know them, they're not your friend. <laughs> <laughs> so very strict because she's not yet at that age. And mm. and that's really, and I think it's difficult sometimes to say no and to have those appropriate things. But mm. it is very interesting. But on the note of attachment, because we are running out of time, but there is something that I wanted to kind of just have a little bit more a touch on before we have to run out of time, unfortunately, is... Babies also, human touch is part of that whole attachment. Why Mm. is that human touch so important? Why do kids and babies need hugs and kisses and those type of things? Why are those attachment things so important? Physical, and this is not, Mm. I always say you can be physically present and not be there Mm. (laughs) on your phone looking at something else while you're physically present. So it's not Mm. just about touch. It's also about being present. Mm. Why is it so important for the development? Um, It's because of the secretion of two important hormones. The first one is oxytocin, 
and growth hormones. So when children don't get enough physical touch, research tells us that there is a failure to thrive. Children can actually die. They can actually literally get so thin and so undernourished emotionally that they can die of it. Oh. So this is the important. Hugs and kisses are important. Unfortunately, yeah. Lizette, Craig has now showed me that we've run out of time. So thank you so much for joining me today. It was, a um, pleasure. It was really, really insightful. <laughs> this is Bump and Beyond with Yolandi Becker, the show about pregnancy and babies. 101.9 megahertz of life. Yes, and just like that, another show comes to an end. And luckily for you, this will be available as a podcast on our website, www.highfm.com, where you can get it later today. And, of course, many of our other podcasts, all of our shows have podcasts on the website. So if you miss something, you can still go listen to it. Um, and I've got lots of other shows Surprisingly, I think we're on about 12 podcasts now. That's pretty cool, I feel. So there's a lot of other topics that you can um, go look at. And remember also to join me next week um, when I am going to be answering the most asked breastfeeding questions with Kerry Haupt. And that's going to be really fun as well. So think about your questions as well already. And you can send it to us already. Um, bump and um, bump and beyond at highfm.com. We would love to answer your questions, your most asked questions about breastfeeding. Um, the children's relationship affects all areas and stages of their development. In fact, relationships are the foundation of child development. Through relationships, your child learns vital information about their world. For example, your child learns whether the world is safe and secure, whether they're loved, who loves them, what happens when they cry or laugh, and much more. Your child also learns by seeing relationships amongst others, for example, by seeing how you behave with other family members, your partner. This learning is the foundation for the development of your child's communication, behavior, social, and other skills. Lizette, my guest earlier, mentioned about attachment and how important it is to make time and spend time with our children and also doing the right age appropriate things. But I, I personally have to say that for my own children, I've seen what a difference it can make if you are there and making time and in your daily routine, even Lizette was talking about making examples of it. Make sure at the end of the day, that you have dinner together. And I can promise you, I've been doing it with my daughter since she was nine months. She would sit in a NZ chair by our table with us and we were all eating together. Until this day, every single day we have dinner together. It's the exception when we have movie nights on a Friday every now and then. Then we sit, still sit together, but in front of the TV to have movie nights. And make that time. Make the time to be there at bar time or shower time or whatever to be there. You have to be there anyway because you can't leave a small child in a bath unattended. So be there and be present. Put your phone away. Have the activities while you're doing that as part of your bedtime routine, which is vital for setting up for sleep for the night. Include some one-on-one -on -one time and activities. Children learn what they live. They um, Then they grow up to live what they've learned. 
The world is changed by your example, not by your opinion. Let's lead by example for our children. Thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to chatting with you next week. Bye.